This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. When we talk about recent advances in pediatric disease, and I think that you will see uh, that occurred more and more and us paying more and more attention to it in many parts of the world. Now, when I was asked to talk about advances in uh, pediatric critical care, I thought uh, the best way to start is to look at ABC Medical News to see what they thought advances were. And you can see the top 10 advances of the decade that they uh, spoke about it has very little to do with uh, critical care. And furthermore, it really got me thinking about what really is an advance. Um, in the long run, I think that what we'd like to do is make a difference in the care of patients and the outcomes and the experience of patients. So many of what they are mentioning may be tools to achieve this advance, but it's certainly not advance, advances. I think it's a very uh, important topic at this time, and mainly we can look at if we decide that uh, one of the advances in critical care is the need for critical care or the number of uh, areas of the world or populations that, re that uh, meet criteria for critical care or intensive care facilities, um, this has changed over the last uh, few decades. For instance, uh, the well-established or well-recognized criteria for providing publicly funded intensive care is a child mortality, under five mortality of less than 30 per, th per thousand. And one can see in this uh, slide that in 1960, there were many areas of the world that did not qualify uh, based on these criteria. Indeed, most of the developing world and many of the industrialized nation did not. Well, if we fast forward to a few years ago, we can now see that many of the developing world and most of the industrialized world fit these criteria and hence more and more uh, ICUs are being developed across the world and as I said, we can think of that as one advance. But in thinking of it in a more sort of, uh, uh, sort of deeper sense, my question, several questions were raised, is that what is an advance? Is it better outcomes, better outcomes for patients, better integration of all aspects of care, is that an advance? Ensuring sustainability of critical care, or are we justifying critical care in more and more areas? In other words, advocacy are those advances. And then for whom? As you heard, for the individual patient, is it population, clinicians, pharmacy, family, policy makers, or is it for all of those? And where in the world are we referring to? Because there are different resource limitations in various parts of the world. In some areas, we have an abundance of resource, resources, and an advance in one area will bear little relevance to people in other areas of the world. So I thought that what aspect of care are we interested in? And if we go back to the Institute of Medicine, um, the issue, the dimensions of care that they espouse were effectiveness, safety, efficiency, patient-centered, timeliness, and equity. And I thought 
this might be a very good framework to look at advances that we have. And the reason for that is that there is a care system, and in the care system, as you can see, there are many factors that is required to provide uh, uh, better outcomes, safe, effective care. We need a supportive system with, uh, that is adequately uh, sort of resource. We need organization, as Andrew was talking about. We need high-performance teams. And we need a lot of enablers, okay, design of the systems, etc., that will lead to better outcomes and timely care. So with that in mind, I thought uh, I'd like to sort of look at uh, the, uh, in various areas of the world, in resource, both resource-rich and resource-poor, because of the nature and the collaboration we have, uh, to look at some of the advances. When we think about effectiveness, there is no doubt that one of the gold standards should be the global trends in childhood deaths. And one can see the good news is that over the last decade, there has been a decrease in childhood deaths worldwide. Uh, most of these deaths, as you know, occur in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and Asia, but decrease in diarrheal diseases, uh, malaria, mumps, measles, uh, uh, neonatal uh, mortality, there has been decreases. So that's a good news and one can say that based on that, the provision of care in general and the provision of critical care, we have made advances. This uh, does not really tell us what the advances, but I would su suggest to you that it is multifactorial in any way from prevention, immunization, etc., to provision of critical care. If we look at the developed world, there's very little literature, but in Australia one can see the intensive care mortality has decreased from the 1980s of 15% to 5% in 2006. Uh, uh, the more recent data from US five academic teaching hospitals that is not yet published, uh, mortality rate is about 2.5% with a range of two to, to three. Now, when we look at specific diseases to, uh, and complex cardiovascular surgery for congenital heart disease, one can see the mortality has declined by 24% over a matter of a decade. So uh, we can see that uh, likely the uh, care, is, care has improved in, in those patients. And the dramatic change for a lot, to a large extent has been in neonatal mortality where one can see the dramatic uh, uh, decrease in mortality due to a variety of factors again, but overall uh, uh, better care, better techniques in surgery, better post-operative care. In, in South Africa, this is some um, data from here that we see with uh, PIC survival of patients with um, HIV and um, PCP, and one can see that with different interventions from uh, ventilation, steroids, etc., uh, in a matter of uh, five years, one can see a dramatic decrease in mortality uh, from approximately 90% to about 22%. Again, so for, if we think in terms of that, there have been advances in various parts of the world. Now, safety is one of the, uh, the issues that we have uh, um, really uh, taken to uh, very, very seriously again. And as Andrew mentioned, we talk about uh, 
well-functioning teams. Well-functioning teams within the ICU where they're staff with different levels, different skills, different um, uh, background and training, but also the well-functioning teams between the ICU and uh, operating room transfers um, and teams that work close together. We have also had a, a, a burgeoning number of checklists, bundles, protocols, for safe surgery, ventilator-assisted pneumonia, uh, line placement and maintenance, uh, sepsis protocols, post-operative care, and you name it, many of the units, as you heard yesterday, when Jean-Louis Vincent talked, the number of protocols that we have, um, there, there's also a downside to protocols, etc. but the point is that it has increased uh, communication in many areas, and in many areas, we are seeing the benefit of this from better, um, uh, less complications and better outcomes. Another advance has been the, in safety has been looking at uh, one of the most common drugs that we give uh, fluids and uh, the realization that hypotonic fluids has a downside to it. Indeed, there has been uh, morbidity associated with it and mortality. And in many cases now institutions have labeled uh, uh, the hypotonic solutions as a cytotoxic agent. In many cases, it's removed from, uh, from uh, uh, certain clinical care areas uh, such that uh, as a safety mechanism that you, you have to make a special effort to um, order it and to get it uh, to be used. Um, some of you may have heard about this uh, youngster, Rory Staunton, New York, who uh, was fairly normal, playing basketball, had a scrape, and ended up uh, going to one of the institutions there, treated um, as, um, uh, as just having a minor uh, viral infection, given some fluid, sent home, and uh, 24 hours later he returned to the institution and uh, died. There was a lot of press uh, associated around it, uh, many uh, reports in the newspaper, and indeed parents uh, who read that uh, uh, was better educated to advocate for their child, and in one hospital in Florida, as you see, the mother um, insisted that her child had sepsis, which as it, it turned out to be. That by itself um, is one sort of sentinel um, event that has galvanized the issue of sepsis in New York State, and indeed the governor um, of New York um, has suggested that all, in fact, making a law of it, Roy Stanton law, that all hospitals screen for sepsis. Well, there have been a lot of work um, being done on um, sepsis, and you have heard a lot during this conference on various aspects of sepsis. But this uh, study is from Texas, which showed that with uh, good um, implementation of protocols, and you can see the statistical uh, control charts, they have been able to um, be aggressive in treatment, time to fluid boluses and antibiotics have improved markedly. And with that, there has been a decrease in mortality from two and a half, uh, from 4% to 2.5%, decrease in the use of vasoactive drugs and mechanical ventilations. This, um, similarly in Boston, uh, they use uh, other criteria, for instance, antibiotics, inotrope support, vascular access, and uh, recognition of sepsis as their hallmarks of treatment. And with their protocols, they have been able to um, increase adherence of it, but 57% reduction in hospital and PICU 
um, uh, admission. In Utah, similarly for sepsis, uh, they found that uh, with appropriate sort of um, institutional guidelines, there was increase in protocol um, uh, compliance from 60 to 80 percent. Uh, they gave the same fluid boluses very aggressively and were able to decrease mortality uh, and uh, decrease the length of stay. So the point is that this is in one area, one can say it's uh, with uh, one um, specific entity, but there are other collaborators that have been showing very good results lately, and the, the building of collaborators and community of practice, both in clinical care and research, as been I mentioned yesterday, has been one of the advances, I think, in critical care. It's very interesting and ironic that many of our problems in critical care are safety, quality and safety issues uh, due to lack of poor communication. But I think that one of the great advances has been communication and collaboration. And this is uh, some data from Cincinnati, which shows that uh, uh, compliance with the uh, bundles, the um, um, catheter-related bundles have increased, and at the same time, infection has decreased. This is hospital-wide, and we also have data now where several hospitals have done the same thing. Uh, there have been advances looking at uh, issues in low-resource or low-income countries also, and this is a, a pediatric quality of inpatient indicators, and this is now being used in several countries also in, um, in, in Africa and Asia. And I think that this is one of the issues that has plagued us for years. The issue of quality of care in these areas have not really been addressed. And I think having a tool and having individuals who are now vested in addressing these issues is an increase. Indeed, global in initiative to improve hospital care for children are occurring in many areas. You can see in Malawi, hospital QI projects, Solomon Islands, Niger, South Africa, Papua New Guinea are doing mortality audits, and Commonwealth of Independent States are doing assessment of hospital care. So once there's a framework and they, um, they, uh, we've started this, I think that we're reaching a tipping point now where it is no longer um, foreign to be talking about uh, initiatives to improve care. Uh, efficiency. Efficiency again plagues us. I think in the world of plenty, we have uh, uh, the luxury to do things in a different way, and in many cases, we are less efficient. But uh, I think we have a lot to learn from areas in which there are less resources, and this is from uh, our colleague Gregor Pollack in Malawi, in which there are few ICU beds, as we know. There are many children that are seen, and. Uh, they cannot comply with the standard, the, the standard treatment that we speak about for sepsis. There are few anesthesiologists and very few doctors, as Andrew mentioned, the, the very same issue in South Africa. They are less resourced in Malawi. So the, he came up and with a group with a very innovative program to prevent unnecessary admissions to the ICU. And they did that in, in several ways. They prevented elective operation and invasive procedures in malnourished children. So that nurses as the gatekeepers, health surveillance in the villages, safe surgery campaign, they, improved, they put the chest checklist in place, improve referral timing, uh, prevent long fasting times so kids were getting the antibiotics and antimalarials would not be omitted. 
They were training people in the, in the various relevant health uh, areas um, to take care of children upstream, uh, and both mothers and children, so they did not come. And it made some difference. They, they're just um, getting the results of, the, uh, of um, their program, but there is great hope that this will make a difference. Efficiency and innovation, there are many different uh, types of ventilators that are now being modified for low resource setting. As Liz gave me some of this desperate attempts to give oxygen, etc. But in resource limited areas, there are many innovations that are now coming out that really um, increases efficiency. Patient-centered care, I will spend very little time on it. Andrew has uh, um, uh, done a very uh, stellar job on speaking of what is needed in patient-centered care. But it is very interesting in the past year that there are many uh, areas that are now discussing it. In Canada, uh, the issue of whether the ICU is an office or a bedroom and how do we increase, in, increase family-centered care in the PICU. Pakistan, you can see family-centered rounds in Pakistani PICU. Uh, and in U.S. factors associated with high-quality communication to families are all being discussed very vigorously. And in many cases, the issues in the past of uh, does the family belong at the bedside is becoming moot. The issue of pain and suffering, Andrew mentioned that. This is from Liz again, speaking about um, uh, healthcare workers are ill-equipped to manage pain in her area. But the interesting thing is that um, she said advocacy and commitment is needed this is a shameful deficiency in healthcare provision, and we have the capacity to do something about it. But it is good news, at least we are starting the discussion um, in some areas there. Uh, treatment of children with cancer, in many areas, uh, there is absolutely no treatment, or those that are treated, they suffer needlessly, again, uh, in uh, pain, um, especially at the end of life. There are now guidelines that are being discussed for cancer care in low-income uh, settings, such that it does not strain the resources of the nations, but at the same time, it provides humane care for children. So I think that this is also um, an area that we are seeing some advance. Uh, in fact, some of my colleagues who work in uh, Bangladesh and uh, some areas in Africa to enact this very, um, very program. Well, what about timeliness of care? I think timeliness is a problem, and for many of the diseases that we treat, the fact is that we need uh, to give treatment, treatment in, in a very uh, sort of uh, quick manner. The fact is that there is very little time for deliberation. The fact is, in many parts of the world, the critically ill child does not have the um, and the families don't have the luxury of transport systems and well-integrated systems. And in many areas of the world, uh, innovative solutions are now improving timeliness of care for children. For instance, community health workers use of uh, use of uh, rapid diagnostic tests and drugs to manage malaria and pneumonia have decreased mortality, decreased reduced drug use, etc. In several areas of the world, you can see in Zambia, in other areas, uh, given oxygen at home or daycare clinics and those things have precluded uh, the necessity to, for children to come um, to hospitals, which in many cases they cannot, uh, they arrive in dire straits if they do. And home-based treatment can be applied in a variety of settings. You can see in Bangladesh, Egypt, Ghana, Vietnam, all improving outcomes and decreasing mortality. Innovative solutions, again, where there's a 
lack of uh, uh, medical or few medical uh, care, training villages and basic first aid provision of antibiotics again to healthcare workers uh, in Pakistan, modifications of some of the integrated management of uh, childhood diseases protocols um, in the district hospitals, um, reorganization of emergency medical services, for instance, uh, what Liz Molin has done and we have done in Bangladesh where, uh, and China where we've introduced triage in many hospitals such that it is not a first call on first-serve basis where critically ill children are waiting has decreased mortality and again provision of oxygen in various settings um, uh, since pneumonia is the most common um, disease. Now equity is still an issue and I think that when we look at it this is the, uh, the uh, OECD data looking at uh, the, the um, resources and uh, dollars that have been given to countries, uh, low-income countries or countries which uh, we said count down the priority countries. The priority countries are 70 countries in which 95% of the childhood deaths occur. And um, this graph looks at the, the resources that have been given in the last 10 years for maternal health and child health. But in all cases, what is worrisome is that this has, the aid has been increasing for years, but it's only in the last two years one can see this level off, and um, it is very worrisome for many of, in those areas because it has uh, increased inequity, and um, it could um, spell disaster for many mothers and children. Indeed, this is a graph that shows um, child mortality under five mortality on the vertical axis over income per GDP over many years and one can see the progress those uh, United States, Canada, um, Japan, few of the uh, developing country, developed countries, one can see the dramatic decline in child mortality such that most are very low but many of the countries up here, the African countries have remained stagnant in fact uh, some have made a modest progress and then um, there have been problems and regression again. And this is South Africa here where there has been some progress but not enough. So there's a lot more to be done there. Indeed, if we look at uh, changes in mortality by wealth, we find that um, the problem is that there has been a lot of discrepancy even in this area where children uh, mortality has decreased, undefined mortality. In many countries, the ones in red, the discrepancy has increased such that the, the uh, child uh, in poverty has a markedly higher chance of dying than they were uh, in the 1990s. So in the 1990s, there may be 14 times higher chance of dying. Now it's a lot higher than that. It's in the 20s um, of dying um, from um, from poverty. So um, it, there, there's a lot more work to do in equity. And finally, in innovations, I think we've had some uh, changes in kind of gentle ventilation. Andrew spoke about the sedation, the approach to analgesia, has been a, a, a boom for children. And in neurocritical care, we've had uh, several uh, development, the use of hypertonic saline, better monitoring, and the um, use of hypothermia. In fact, there's a very interesting, this is some interesting data that shows that patients who are going on an ECMO 
now have a lower pH and a higher PCO2, implying that uh, they are being ventilated and we are tolerating higher CO2s, lower pH, kind of gentler ventilation, and they're going on later now on ECMO. When we talk about ECMO um, innovation, there are new centrifugal pumps that are uh, also better, less uh, complications. But again, as I said, when you talk about um, these as innovations, they occur in one in a different world than uh, most of where most children die. There are better ways of looking at the brain, a traumatic brain injury that has also been a, a boon. And this is a story of a young girl with, uh, in Boston who is waiting for her transplant from a dilated cardiomyopathy. She now has um, uh, an artificial heart but is at school and doing many of the activities she did before. Now, one can say it's an advance, but it's an advance for one person or for a limited number will have access to this advance. In the larger world, liberation technology, it works very well for maternal and child death has decreased where community health workers have been using text messages and reminding uh, people life-threatening um, uh, complications that most of the life-threatening deliveries are now occurring in, in facilities rather than a thing. pulse oximeter, we are making great inroads by using it as a diagnostic test or collecting data, put into a central repository linked to protocols such that people in villages, etc., can use that. And finally, uh, we are starting more and more uh, advanced with education, understanding uh, adult education, and um, the open pediatrics is one method that I hope that many of you will hear more about it and go on site. We are in many countries right now, which is a very good um, um, advance. So in summary, um, when we talk about recent advances in critical care, I still, um, I pose a question to you is really what is an advance? And I think that for different people, um, it's going to be in the eyes of the beholder, um, where you are in the world, what an advance is going to be, for whom it's going to be, um, is one of the questions you have to do. And as I say, um, what aspect of care are we really interested in? So I hope I've given you a sort of broad panoramic view of what I think are the various facets of advance. And I think that depending on where you sit in the world, you may or may not see it in, in different light. Thank you very much. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.